is there anything better than Ray Santoro's column in John Cass News today where he talks about Chicago as the city of lobsters? The people placidly in a pot waiting for the whole thing to boil and boil them. Of course, uh, I could imagine WBEZ or Channel 11 having a hissy fit over this and accusing uh, me of, and Ray Santoro of not supporting frogs because frogs are also the creatures that sit in a pot placidly as the water boils. I, I don't care about metaphor wars. We're in a political campaign. The future of the city of Chicago is at stake. And what I'm seeing is media playing dirty, media pretending to be honest brokers and then playing just like some hacks out of the 47th Ward. Joining us today is, of course, as always, Jeff Carlin, WGN executive producer, master of cats, baker of pies, and Joe Ferguson, former inspector general of the city of Chicago. And he, uh, he once had a working good relationship with Lori Lightfoot until he told the truth about the mayor in a report, stunning report, that she lost control of the city and turned the city over to the rioters, the George Floyd rioters who destroyed the loop. So what do you do with everyone that you know sitting in a, sitting in a pot of water wait, wait, waiting for it to boil, not really understanding of what's happening as their city is going to boil them alive? You're on the Chicago Way podcast with John Cass, Joe Ferguson, and Jeff Carlin. So this is a guy who lives high on the hog and he has this Tammany Hall-style attitude to power. And um, it is, it's the Chicago Way, absolutely. Look, the, the, the Chicago Way is a deep cultural phenomenon. It's the Chicago Way. The Chicago Way. That's the focus. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand with pen and paper in his hand, defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river, Castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. Yeah, thanks, John. This is a, a, a good one today for everybody. A great episode, I think, you know, but I'm biased. Uh, Joe Ferguson, who I believe has no bias because he's a critical thinker, someone who looks at the problem, analyzes it, and and really gives sensible and intelligent ways to fix things. Now, whether or not those that information and those opinions ever get acted upon, well, that's a, a problem for the, the voters to, to address. And that's why we're here. Joe, welcome to the Chicago Way. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. So, Joe, what's with the bleep in media in this campaign? You know, it's... I, I don't jump into the notion fully that um, they're they're agenda driven, though it is really hard at times to um, shake that off because of the way this is playing out. There are some larger dynamics here um, uh, that I definitely would lo- would like to speak to, but it feels like to me 
Um, as a consumer of the media, you know, as a citizen, as, you know, a former government official, I looked to the media for answers to questions. And they didn't really write something or air something until they had answers to questions. I think because of what social media has done, and I think because of the decimation of the staffing and the um, standards in our newsrooms generally, it's sufficient to just have questions. They generate questions without answers. And then we have lots of insinuations about those questions and the few things that they have pulled together. And as a consequence, um, we're in a downward spiral right now. And I think the media is a force amplifier of, of, of people just being tired and disgusted and tuning out, which really is a problem for our democracy. Questions without answers, insinuations in the void, and candidates scrambling to answer insinuations is not where we want to be, especially when we have extraordinary problems that we need to hear from the candidates on how they're going to address them. So something's off. Well put. Very well put. I mean, we, we John and I, I touched on this last, on our last episode here, when we were thinking about just looking at headlines and you know, these headlines that draw these suspect connections between say donors and the people donate you know they're donating to or situations about you know does so and so have a, a relative that might have been involved you know that that stuff you, you nailed it i mean that's the idea that raising a question with an answer that either they have in their head that there's going to be the the reader's going to have to have an answer or have their own answer is so disingenuous to the notion of of the fourth you know, a state to be media, to be the ones that are trying to to raise questions, but the raise questions that need that have answers. You know, um, I, I remember a time when it, it was a lot of reporting about facts and press releases, but at press releases, you were raising questions to and you have an answer to. Right. You don't don't put a pose a question unless it was an opinion piece. And now it seems like everything is about, well, who can who can write the craziest questioning headline about reality and, and run with it? But Joe, what do you think? What is what is the a way people can maybe counter that as far as uh, discerning what they read or what they see in in the media? Turn off social media first off. Amen. Um, yes, because uh, th- that's that's the place where and 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 folks that 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 John maybe um, you have deeper knowledge of um, and have an understanding of sort of their thought processes. I, as sort of more the consumer level, sort of give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, all of that is because there were there were rigorous editorial standards, rigorous journalistic standards from the outlets that they reported from. But those largely are gone when we're watching or reading them in social media and their commentary. Bingo. And there, it's not necessarily deviating from the facts, but what you are often reading is snark and insinuation from the people that you are ostensibly relying upon for objective, balanced truth-telling. That that completely changes my impression of what I am reading or viewing in the, the traditional media outlets because I see that there is a different mindset at work when I read their social media posts. Let's be specific, guys. 
what is the city expected to make, or the citizens of this troubled city expected to make of stories that suggest, and I'm talking about public radio, public television, that Paul Vallis, for example, is uh, invested in like homes in Mantino. He's a real estate broker. He's given money to the killers of Laquan McDonald, or he's taken money from the killers of Laquan McDonald. I don't think any of it is true. and I, I, I know not, it's not true. But what does it say about us as a city that consumes this garbage, even though it's coming from uh, Winnetka talks to Wilmette or <laughs> some establishment uh, venues? What does it say about us? I'll save Joe having to to, uh, to pinpoint specifically uh, specific outlets to because you know Joe's got got some great things we're going to get to here that he's working on and trying to get the city on the right footing moving forward. Um, but I will say that that look at the headlines that aren't there, right? You see, you look at an outlet and it's all Paul Vallis in the headlines, or you look at an outlet that it's all Brandon Johnson in the headlines. There's a, that's got to raise some questions to the, to the consumer because it's what they're not saying is, is really almost as important. Cause if an outlet just spends all of their time and effort digging into one candidate, well, why is that? Well, there's probably an editor involved that says, let's look at so-and-so and what they're doing. And then that's where you get into this idea of, I hate to say it, but the bias in a sense where you want to believe it's, it's an accident. But at the end of the day, you know, there are no real accidents when it comes to writing concrete headlines, concrete words to say, this is what you should be looking at. So my, my take on that, John, is yeah, there, there are a lot of stations and a lot of outlets that don't cover all the candidates. They only cover the ones they either want to support or they want to knock down. And that's where I would start as a consumer saying, well, what is not being said here? What's not being said about Chewy? What is not being said about Brandon Johnson? Uh, Joe Ferguson? There's there's so many things uh, embedded in all of this. And I want to offer a couple of things here. So what we're watching in real time um, is the degrading of the First Amendment. And and, And from two perspectives, with respect to political association and speech, um, uh, and, and those constitutional protections, we've come to a place in our, um, our system where simply lying on the political side mm-hmm. is protected speech. Yeah. A politician, including an incumbent, can simply tell lies. That's political speech that's protected. On the other side, the fourth estate, freedom of the press, and the protections that come with that that has been eroded as well back to we don't get answers we get questions they come with insinuations but it's all under the guise of protected first amendment activities and both sides of that equation have the rest of us confused and those of us that care to try to figure it out kind of frustrated and angry and just about everybody inclined to tune out which means we're that that always favors the status quo and in chicago the status quo is not a good thing no um and 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 i think you know it 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 bothers me that um whenever my name is used um in the media and i speak to the media i am introduced as a critic of the mayor a harsh critic of the mayor is what i read recently this week how about 
Because you dared, you dared just, to say something. I'm, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to figure stuff out like everybody else, and right. calling it for how I see it. And to the notion that of objectivity, I am the first to admit I have my preconceptions. We are our thinking. All of our thinking is grooved in some way, but that's where you know, an organiz- organizational rigor that says, nope, we're going to have checks here. We're going to have balances here. Uh-huh. We, we need another level of, of corroboration. That's, that's where the, the, the erosion of the newsrooms and editorial standards and journalistic standards fails us because we're all biased in some way, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And that, that's where we've fallen off. But in all of this, I, at the political level, and this week, you know, certainly it's 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 all Paul Vallis all the time. Why? You know, in an odd sense, that simply reinforces the obvious fact that he is the front runner right now. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know whether that will continue all the way to February 28th. But the way it's looking to me is if we get to Monday, Tuesday. And whatever bizarre poll gets posted, because that's another thing, polls get posted. No one actually talks about the underlying rigor of the poll and so on and so forth, because it's it's quick news is if he is if if after all that has gone on in the past week to 10 days, he is still showing in first place. I think, you know, it's likely that Laurie and Chewy and Brandon are going to have to turn their guns on each other in a race for the second spot. But, John, you're right. You know, when when each one of them has issues and they're not all being talked about equally. And here, you know, we talk about answers versus questions, you know, at the broad at the broad brush level. And this was actually teased by one of the lesser um, uh, uh, candidates recently, um, but not much reported. Let's look at Brandon Johnson. He is, in essence, as best as I can tell, not a double dipper, but a triple dipper. <laughs> He's a triple yes. dipper. Um, he is collecting his county salary while he is collecting a CTU salary. And while he is collecting that CTU salary, I believe the law is that he gets to accrue pension time in grade benefit yes. from mm-hmm. all of that. He is accruing um, uh, a pension benefits down the road simply from his work as CTU, which means he is the part. Uh, he is an example of why the pensions are in the state that they are in. But what does he do? He and others say, Paul Vallis, you were the one that started to use pension benefit, pension funds for operating costs and overriding the fact that, in fact, Vallis left um, the Chicago public school system with a 100% fully funded pension and a $1 billion reserve. And that that's the fact. Yeah. Um, but no one's asking about Brandon. On um, you know, with respect to Lori, while we're talking about this residency thing, um, which, you know, as a matter of law, there is no there there. Right. Um, so it's pure politics, but while everyone's chasing around sort of the political spin. There was a terrific story um, uh, coming both from Heather Sharon and Dan Mihalopoulos. And I, there's, they're, 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 they have good things and they have bad things about their reporting lately. But they both reported on the connection of Elsie Higginbotham mm-hmm. to Lori Lightfoot's political action campaign, which is an extraordinary thing to me. And I spoke to it 
um, with Heather, what we're talking is legalized bribery on the literally the immediate aftermath of the public announcement that Elsie Higginbotham gets a $23 million property management contract from the city. Mm-hmm. He drops $50,000 into Lori's political action committee fund. And that immediately gets put to use in the field for campaign purposes. So Lori can attack Brandon Johnson, particularly and other things. And you look at Lori, she attacks everyone. Um, uh, I've spoken to some pro- political professional professionals that they've said, and they've said they have never seen as a strategy um, for a candidate that you simply attack everyone. And they certainly have never seen that from an incumbent, which sort of gets you all around to the fact that Lori has to do that um, because she can't run on her record. And, you know, Chewy now does that because he has no record to run on. Years ago, Jeff and I had Lori Lightfoot frequently on this program, the Chicago way. And I've mentioned it in the past that she took off after Elsie Higginbottom and said he was a coward and she could tell it by his eyes. He was a coward and she was going to ruin him and, and end him. And I, the first time in my life as a journalist, I paused the tape. Because, I, you know, she was a friend. I wanted, you know, she was new. I shouldn't have done it, but I did. I said, Lori, if you don't take out Elsie Higginbottom, people who play politics for a living will see you as nothing but a phony. And now, as you tell me, uh, she's given Elsie Higginbottom big-time contracts and, and reaping the benefits in the quid pro quo world. And all I have to say is, Madam... We've established what you are, and now we're just talking about the price. And correct me if I'm wrong, Joe. That's the the tied to the Chicago, the uh, future casino in Chicago, correct? Um, I think that's right. And and that's which is the irony there to me is ripe because Lori talks about being someone for the little people, the poor people, helping all this. And and I mean, you can look at the data, but casinos make most of their money off of lower income people, middle local. I mean, if they're not. They're not making cash and bank off of just just rich people. It's mostly people who are struggling to to make their ends meet. So it's rather disingenuous, if you ask me. And as I think, Joe, I think we had you on. You talked about the future of a possible casino in in this city once, and how it you know that would be a long road to making it profitable or even a benefit to the city outside of some construction jobs. Um, but that's not. But I digress. Um, Joe, I, one of the things I we we, we love to, to tap your brain on is you know, how we can make the city better, things that it can actually make change, make people more involved, you know, make services better, is restructuring the way the city is developed and, and put together. And you're a part of the, the ReChicago uh, group here that's trying to push that. We'll give us a little, little background on that and, and bring anyone who's new to it up to speed. So uh, thanks for the question, um, and 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 you got to the essence of it. Um, it in the latter part of my my actually, I'll, I'll tell you a story. It's tied to a specific report that we were generating. The report on the George Floyd um, uh, demonstrations and mm-hmm. civil unrest, and um, uh, a- as we were sort of putting it together, um, we realized that there were so many governmental components involved in it that we needed to do a little something that actually explained how they all operate and sit together. 
and um, uh, great people working for me. We're in crunch time. Um, I jumped into uh, some of the direct line work and I said, I'll take the powers of the mayor. And so I went and researched the powers of the mayor and shame on me for not having caught this much earlier. Um, but I saw some things that that <laughs> confused me, quite mm-hmm. frankly, in the powers of the mayor and the municipal code. There is a provision that says the mayor must appoint somebody to the position of administrative officer for the city. That person has to have a background. It's written into the law. Um, uh, education and experience running large government organizations. And it is the person to whom all of the city department heads must report. That person's name is supposed to be given to the city council for confirmation hearings and a vote. <laughs> and uh, I, I look at that and said, who is this person? Do we have such a person? Sure. The <laughs> mythical being. I first thought chief of staff. And I was like, nope, that person doesn't have to be confirmed by the city council. But this sure looks like a city manager. And you start looking into that and um, see that there is no person on the payroll. So there's a provision of the municipal code that isn't being followed. I talked to a lot of aldermen and see to see if they were aware of it. This was news to them. Said, are you going to do anything about it? And the answer was, no, we don't know what to do about it. It's unenforceable. We then dug a little deeper to see the last time that the position was filled. It was during the administration of Jane Byrne. Interesting. So there's a mandatory provision for a city manager type of person, somewhat responsible to, responsive to the city council. And think of that. That is a dynamic that doesn't exist. Anything that goes on in the mayor's office, from the mayor's office itself, the city council doesn't get that information or anything around the information, unless the mayor's office decides it wants to share the information with the city council. That leaves the city council in a blind as to what it's voting on quite often, and therefore yeah. the public in a blind. And all of that is because, is because we do not have a system of checks and balances. The city council doesn't have the right to require the disclosure of information. It doesn't have the power to require the appearance of people. The CTA president, for example, them three times in a row before finally, I'm I'm sure the mayor said, yeah, you got to go and do that and appear, but don't have the power to require people to attend. And um, that ties to the larger structure of, of, of Chicago governance. We have no checks and balances. And here's the bottom line. Chicago is the only major city in the United States that does not have a governing document, a constitution, a city constitution, which in the in the vernacular is called a charter. And so I'll give you a couple of examples here of of things that happen here that can't happen elsewhere because of how their governance system is set up. Jeff, you just mentioned one, the casino. What happened with the casino? was the mayor, who is essentially also, you know, think of this from the, from the, from the congressional level. Um, we would all say that the president choosing the Speaker of the House is not the way things are supposed to work. But that's how it works here. The, 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 the president actually is the Speaker of the House, presides over the full council, chooses all the committee chairs, 
the committees that are supposed to be the sort of uh, the, the critical vetter and critiquer of what the administration is doing. Those are the mayor's people. Um, and those committees, even if they were independent, don't have the resources, the authority, the power to actually get the information and hold the hearings that need to be held. Um, so Risha, and, and, and so all of this, this realization that we do not have a governing document began to sit in my head as the reason why it's Groundhog Day here. Always. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, to, your, to, to, to your opening, you know, it is boiling frogs, um, or boiling lobsters, um, uh, while, um, a system in which all too much power is held by one person unchecked takes us down a road to ruin. And that's not a knock on Lori. This is how it's always operated and how we've always sort of um, accepted it. But the city that works no longer works. And everyone is waking up to the fact that something bigger is going on here. And it's not just corruption from within. My 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 conclusion is we actually need a, a charter commission to draft a charter that's reflective of the government that we need, checks and balances, transparency, accountability mechanisms, participatory mechanisms built into it so that we all understand and have the capacity to understand much better what is going on and actually to have better voice in all of this. And so um, ReChicago founded last year it's a nonprofit. Um, we've spent six to nine months working um, with a lot of graduate students at the University of Chicago first to generate a lot of research mm-hmm. um, and um, on other cities and on Chicago itself, particularly doing deep dives in areas of budgeting and finance, police accountability, um, community engagement, uh, and the city council itself. Every other major city um, reassesses its governance structure generationally. And in some cities, uh, every five or 10 years, and they don't make major changes, but they continue to tweak the model to actually um, uh, address the challenges and the problems that they're having. Last time Chicago even looked at it was in the early 1950s, and it made no meaningful changes. And the time before that, was at the turn of the 20th century, and it made no meaningful changes. We have a 19th century government, a 19th century political culture, and 21st century challenges that we are not meeting. That is why we need a charter and a charter commission to bring it forward. You want a charter, and I understand that, but I think right now, based on the early 1950s and the, uh, the loss of his head, by the alderman of the 14th Ward, who was Clarence Wagner and selected to be mayor. And then all of a sudden, oh, he lost his head literally in an accident on the way home from International Falls. There hasn't been anything but the state of nature. And I'll give you one. You're talking about, and I, I, I think we do need a charter, but I've seen a lot of stories lately about Chewy and, uh, Brandon Johnson, and I I see their attack ads and, and how they're playing it. Lori playing it with uh, her her new buddy, Elsie uh, Higginbottom. But I wonder, why aren't there any mentions in all these stories about the crime problem that is going to face us when uh, there's a pushback by the police, by City Hall, if there is ever, 
on uh, on what Tim Fox and uh, Tony Preckwinkle have done. And how can you run a city and talk about crime and talk about living peacefully when there is no constraint on the cook on the boss of the Cook County Democratic Party who's running the county party to, to please it appears to me to please George Soros and his allies who are funding Kim Fox. Why no mention of Preckwinkle and Fox and any of these stories about Brandon Johnson and Chewy Garcia? Here's the one thing that we all know. Um, we're not going to solve all the problems of the world and new problems will arise while we try to solve the ones that are within our grasp. And 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 John, um, I, I, I probably differ with you on on, on your take on, on a number of those people. However, the dynamic and the relationship between them is something that ought to be spoken of. Um, uh, you know, who who Brandon Johnson's actual sort of allies and supporters are should be understood. That's a problem. That's something that's missing right now. If he were to make the runoff, I suspect we would be hearing more about that. Mm-hmm. But but what is within our the county that's not within sort of the the the, the grasp? Um, and that would be for the media to pursue. But what is within our grasp is the city itself. And on on the issue of policing, police accountability, because I believe both of those things go together. Um, uh, and you may have a different take. The consent decree is a is a floor, but it's a floor to constitutional policing largely based in in programming and resourcing of officers to be to effectively do policing at a constitutional level. Um, and it involves exactly. all, all sorts of things of benefit to the to officers themselves. So our lagging on the consent decree actually is hurting our officers and therefore hurting our ability to address crime um, in this in the streets, costing us untold millions and settlements. I mean, and, and 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 Jeff, to that particular point where you would expect to hear that in a properly functioning rep- democratic republic, right, mm-hmm. would be a legislative committee saying we need to hold a hearing on that. But our committees are run by the mayor herself. Or himself, which means those questions really don't get aired, don't get um, brought out in hearings. People aren't brought in to explain what's going on. Um, the information underlying them isn't brought out publicly. That is a point right there, how the city council functions and who controls it, that in every other city in the United States, there is a medium for a conversation about that. And there is a recalibration and a rebalancing that provides for checks and balances and transparency and accountability. We don't have that. That is something that we can do something about that John would bring forward the facts and the information and the understanding that would allow us to talk about what other bigger things are are, are behind all of this. But it's within our grasp to actually attend to our the very structure of Chicago's government while we sort of ruminate over who else and how else this is all working. Joe, would you say uh, the Chicago way is uh, unfortunately embedded in what we do as a city? Um, un- unquestionably. Um, uh, there, there is a, a in, in, in my years of doing sort of police investigative and accountability work um, and, and the question of how to reform 
um, uh, the department. There is a saying that exists in that realm. Culture eats policy for breakfast every day. (laughs) And that describes Chicago as a whole. The culture absolutely devours any effort to actually change things. And the reason why a charter is important is a constitution is a higher form of law. It can't be changed by the players on the fly. We have the casino because the mayor created a special committee to somewhat preemptive and constituted of her other committee chairs um, to preemptively approve the casino before all of the details were even understood. Right. It's like the parking meter deal, right? That was a 72-hour legislative review in New York City where there's a constitution. Here's what would have happened to the parking meter deal. It would have had to have gone to an office called the Independent Budget Office that works like the Congressional Budget Office. It would have been scored, analyzed, and publicly reported out and given to the Finance Committee there, which would have had to have held a hearing. And it was of such a magnitude, the parking meter deal, that if it was in New York City, it probably would have had to go to referendum. Interesting. And I know most most people would say that, you know, the added cost of creating this uh, committee or that committee, what what have you, you know, is just going to land and square in the lap of the of the, the residents and the taxpayers. But in the bigger scheme, it would eliminate so many issues and costs that we wind up having to pay to fix the problems that we're not addressing structurally, like a parameter deal. You know, we're paying for that, right? So I, I think people should really need to check out the website. It's rechicago.org. Rechicago, all one word, rechicago.org. And to the to the point that it would cost more money, um, that, that's the old ounce of prevention mm-hmm. um, is worth a pound of cure. We don't cure anything. <laughs> and so it's a small, it's a small investment. But in point of fact, the resources are actually already there in the city council. It's how they're used in connection with what powers um, that uh, a, a charter would attend to. Um, but, um, yeah, we're hoping to elevate this issue, um, and have a broader conversation And and what I'm finding, um, as I engage this conversation is the business community and those maybe who have benefited by the status quo realize Chicago is running out of runway and, um, our fiscal condition, we can't kick the can down the road, um, any longer at all. Our pensions are in near collapse. The firefighters pension is funded at 19%. Oof. The national best standards say minimally 80% to say that you are healthy and huh. below 40%, it is assumed that it is going to go bankrupt, um, in the near term. Um, the firefighters are at 19. The police department is at 24. We're in bad shape. The business community gets that. The business community gets that their 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 ability to move forward is adversely impacted. It's extremely impacted by the city's reputation and the crime problem that we have right now. And within community itself, um, on the south side and the west side, um, their view and this is this is this this required a little bit of change in framing and thinking on my part. I, I entered into this thinking. The government is broke or broken. And I had a West Side um, uh, minister tell me, Chicago isn't broke. It's fixed. <laughs> That's Dan Prof's fa- famous line. 
I love that. For the I, whole love, state. I like it that West Side, West Side ministers are listening to Danny Proff <laughs> because he's right. And here's the thing is they're not listening to Dan Proff. The point here is, is that everybody from all parts of the political spectrum, from all constituent groups, are all thinking the same thing. And when does that happen in these divisive times? And that is why I think this is, for all of, its, all of its terrible aspects, this is a ripe moment for us to have a conversation about why it is and how it is that government actually contributes to that very outcome and that we can do something about it because every other city in the United States actually does something about it. Well, Joe, I, I think we've taken enough of your time. I just want to thank Joe for pursuing this because uh, if a legislative body does not stand up and protect its own prerogatives, like information and the purse, there is no legislative body. All you have is a bunch of yes men and thugs. And I think Chicago is better than that. And I, I look forward to the next phase of Joe Ferguson's efforts. Well, thanks, Joe. It's, again, always always great to have you. Very enlightening. And uh, I uh, keep up the good fight. I appreciate it, fellas. Thank you. And you, you keep up the good fight as well. Will do. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Be well, guys. Back in the day when you were coming on to the city, the city hall to help Mary Dempsey clean up abuses in the um, Department of Purchasing, you uh, questioned the relationship between city hall and East Lake Management. Yes. And its principal, Elsie, I love Rich Daly, Higginbottom, who is now, I think, uh, now an investor, a big time publisher of. Uh, Sometimes the reader. Right. And that's, isn't it perfect? The reader, the intersectional highways, I call it. <laughs> um, what do you make of it now? What do you see? Do you see Elsie? Do you see him? Does he say, Hi, Mayor, I'm really sorry that I called Rich and complained about you? <laughs> I haven't gotten that apology. I do see him from time to time, but usually across the room. And usually when we make eye contact, he goes in a different direction. Wow. Because he's still around. Yeah, he's still he's got around. a lot of city contracts, both in the city and the Chicago Housing Authority. Wow. If, if Elsie, if you just heard that, I think you should sit down and, and uh, <laughs> have a drink. So, uh, Jeff Carlin, what do you make of his critique? Joe Ferguson's critique of media, and uh, in that I have to say I have friends of both uh, the le- in, in the lefty media, or what we call lefty media, and I think that the that for all its criticism, and I have given them criticism, that uh, WBEZ people and uh, WTTW people have indeed exposed the Elsie uh, Higginbottom, Lori Lightfoot connection. I just hope that they would put in that, Madam, we've established who you are and what you are. Now we're just <laughs> discussing the price. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was I was hoping we get uh, uh, a Joe to give us uh, that's the Chicago way, so I could throw it in the opening. But you know, it's as he's designing, you know, just discussing it. It's it's you know, all the problems kind of lead back to that idea that that the mayor becomes a king, whoever they are, and it's their win and our loss as taxpayers because every time someone else takes power they've got another you know bunch of hands and mouths to feed that aren't doing anything to benefit the city and so i think if you're going to we're going to look at you know who 
would benefit the most from the structure staying the way it is, you know, the the ability to, to set your own agenda and move the city in whatever way you want. Look at your candidates and look at the ones who have a background, have a supporting cast behind them, i.e. the mayor now and LZ Higginbaum or Brennan Johnson and, and the CTU and Big D in, in, in Cook County or uh, Chewy Garcia in progressive, ultra progressive uh, policies and policymakers and big money that's coming from Wall Street. Look at those people and then look at the people who don't have the history of that, the people who, who get called in to fix problems. Uh, I mean, I know it's quite obvious that John and I both think Paul Vallis is the right person for the job. But look at Paul's record. I mean, he's not the guy. He doesn't swoop into Philadelphia to to make a bunch of money and make his make himself rich and friends rich. He didn't swoop into New Orleans to do the same thing, or even Chicago in his first run through as being the you know that is CPS here. Those were he he's not lining his pockets. He's not you know lavishing. Uh, contracts on people you didn't do it then and he's not doing it not going to do it now so think about that think about who's behind the people and what they have to gain you know that's not it's not that hard when you draw start drawing those lines parts putting those threads up on the board to see that there's only one person really who has it in the interest of everybody to fix the city and get the, the city on its right footing for as joe told us the first time in probably 100 years so I uh, I think it's it's something that people should should be aware of and check out the, what they're doing and, and really put it in the back of your head anytime you see a politician speak at that what are they uh, what are they getting out of this and remember I'm coming back I'm not ready to come back a hundred percent but we're back here on the podcast and on John Cast News I'm coming back There's a column Ray Santoro great producer and investigative uh, producer in Chicago has written an amazing column about Chicago, the city of lobsters. I hope you read it. I hope you tell your friends to, to uh, check it out and we'll see you again next time because a lot's going on now and the city, the fate of the city of Chicago is at stake. Absolutely. And do us a favor, share, tell your friends, subscribe, make sure you rate, give us the rating, and uh, we will always thank you for it. Until next time, for John and myself, 